the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress. All right, today we have an exciting episode. We have booth junkie Mike Delgadio coming up in a few minutes. But first off, we have current events. So what have you been up to lately, Paul? Well, let's say a couple of things. I'm finishing up the second book in a series for my gnome divox. I don't really know that word, but Sean Pratt uses it all the time. <laughs> I prefer the word pseudonym. But yeah, the second book in a series for him coming out. And three more were released since our last episode. So that's really rolling along nicely. And it's pretty exciting the way that's taking off as far as the audiobook work. And also related to the audiobook work, I was recently Audible approved or listed as an Audible approved producer with, um, with ACX. So that's pretty cool as well. Very cool. And what are the uh, requirements for that? Isn't it something like 15 or 25 titles? It's kind of a, a nebulous target. Nobody really knows for sure. It's sort of like a double secret probation type of thing <laughs> if, oh, if you're an Animal House fan. But... <laughs> the, the the general consensus is that if you have 25 titles, then you should probably go ahead and apply. And the, the rules are that you have to have, uh, again, nebulous definition, but the definition is a demonstrated record of success on the platform. So, so sucking. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, truth be told, I did apply once before and was actually rejected because there was an issue with one of my books that wasn't my fault. There was a cover art discrepancy where the cover art that was initially published um, or put on the, the offer on ACX was different from the, the final cover art that I submitted. So it was sent back to me as the producer as a rejection. So when I applied, ACX said, well, you know, you have this, this nick on your record, um, but otherwise you've been doing well. Send us a few more titles. I think they said three more titles and then apply again. This was all back over like last spring and summer. So I did. And then after about two more months, I was finally, finally got the badge. So... Wonderful, because I mean, I, like you've been doing audiobook work this entire time, so it's like the fools—they didn't realize what they had. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I have over forty titles out now between myself and the and the pseudonym, so there's definitely a, a demonstrated record. Now, what does that speaking, mean? I'm sorry, go ahead. Speaking of nebulous definitions, uh, that gnome de vox—I mean, Sean Pratt's is playing off of a uh, gnome de plume, which is like a writer's name or a pen name. It's like it's the French translation of pen name, essentially, because pens used to be written with feathers or plumes. So there you go. Oh, there awesome. You know. Thank you. Your, uh, your etymology uh, lesson for the day. Thank you. Sweet. <laughs> we use etymology correctly. So. <laughs> yes. So anyway, what, what it actually means, again, so there's debates about that, whether it helps you or hurts you. But I will say I had a response to, to a, an audition today from a rights holder where they said, um, I like your audition. I took a look at your profile. I saw the Audible approved badge. That really makes me feel confident that you you are familiar with the platform. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more. Haven't gotten the deal yet, but uh, it seems pretty good. But it is a selling point. That's good to know. Yeah, I was actually glad to hear there was some return on it. So let's see. Other than that, uh, I did recently sign with a new talent agency as well. I'm now proud to be part of the family with Tag Talent or the Atherton Group out of... Um, out of Austin, Texas. Pretty excited about that. Very cool. Congratulations. So uh, did you have to do any special marketing for them, or is it just another name on your on your list? Well, I had applied to them before and was uh, summarily ignored, which I don't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> it it's happens with, with agencies. They're busy people. But uh, funnily enough, I was watching Liz Atherton, the owner, on VOBS last Monday, and during her interview, she said, well, somebody asked her, how do you get on her roster? It actually might have been me. I forget now. <laughs> um, in, the, in the chat room, the, some of the questions. And she said, well, we only take people by referrals from people on our existing roster. So if that's something that you can do, then go ahead and submit. They said they really don't listen to any others. And that clicked in my head. Well, that's why they haven't listened. At least that was my rationalization and, and hope at that time. So I contacted um, my good friend, Ken Foster. I think... Uh, you're friends with him as well, Sean, and he's actually done a VO meter stick for the show. Mm -hmm. And he's a member of their roster, and he was kind enough to provide a referral. And within the hour of him contacting them, I got a call uh, from the, or should I say an email, saying, please call us, and didn't know what that meant. It was a little nerve-wracking, but I made the call, and uh, Jimmy Cobble, my, my agent there now, said, welcome to the family. 
that's amazing. That's so great. And it's, I'm really glad you told me that because I know several of the talent on their list, so I might have to buy them a coffee or nope. a beer. Sorry, they're full. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> There's oh, no yeah, availability we, whatsoever. We totally are in the same wheelhouse of voice casting. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my news. What's been happening with you? Very cool. Um, probably the biggest thing that's happened is uh, I got a new job with the the Global Voice Acting Academy. So beforehand, I was kind of responsible for their, their membership program. I was their member liaison, and I still am. Uh, but I'm also now their social media manager. So um, I manage our content, I create new content, and uh, and help promote our various services through our Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn pages. So, and for someone who spends as much time on Facebook as I do, uh, that's actually nice to get paid for it. So. That's awesome. How did that come about? Was that something you pursued or did they ask you to expand your role? My predecessor, the incredibly talented and very organized Mariel Naval, was moving into a new business venture with her husband. They kind of moved across the U.S. to uh, to the East Coast. And so she realized that like having her own VO business and starting a restaurant would probably take up all of her time. I had already been working with GVAA for about a year at that point, and they thought that I was probably the best replacement to or for her. So um, I humbly accepted, and here we are. That's fantastic. Congrats. Well, thank you very much. I haven't broken anything yet, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so um, social mo- social media marketing is hard, and I've had to do like quite a lot of um, personal research on how to go about it in the best way possible. So it's exciting and intimidating at the same time. Yeah, I'll bet. You know, you should contact, I hate to make referrals on the, on the podcast. No, I don't. Who am I kidding? Um, you should contact friend of the show, Chris Detoli. That's what he does, uh, as well. Um, part-time when he's not doing voice work. Excellent. Yeah, I would definitely do that. Cool. And we should have him on the podcast. I know we've talked about it before. Like, um, I'd love to have him on uh, just an episode because I know he helped you with your recent con episode or your con escapades. Um, yeah, that was a so, lot of fun. Yeah, he's a definite friend of the show. So what else is going on with you? Well, personally, uh, I made, what is it, my my fourth trip to Hawaii in about a year to to visit my girlfriend. Um, and you, you guys know about Rachel, I think at this point, I mean, we, we knew each other in college and then we went our separate ways and, um, she moved off to Hawaii and it was like, I've never been to Hawaii. And then one thing led to another. And now I try to make it there quarterly. So, terrible excuse. <laughs> terrible, terrible <laughs> excuse. But we had a wonderful time. Um, it's actually a year, uh, about a year since we became a couple. So we got to celebrate our anniversary together and, Aww, uh, woo, uh, funny story though. Because um, we knew October was a good month, but like our anniversary is on the 13th. So I was like, uh, would it be better to come on the 13th or for Halloween? And she was like, Halloween. I was like, yes, I love this woman. <laughs> and anyone on like who knows me on Facebook knows that we dressed up as the Joker and Harley Quinn from uh, the 90s animated Batman series, which is like my favorite version of those characters. And she did an amazing job with the the makeup. I got nothing but compliments, both in person and online. And we even made like a little Halloween greeting where we got to just like practice our best Joker and Harley impressions. And considering that most of my friends are voice actors and they gave me some really positive feedback, it was really encouraging. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, that was cool. I have to admit, I didn't understand the exact genre, um, the exact um time frame you were going over there, which was version of the character. I was thinking it was the Cesar Romero Joker because that was the makeup I recognize most most frequently. Well, but... it's really funny because he is like, I mean, he spans so many generations. To be honest, I call this kind of like my fusion Joker costume because uh, like the costume itself was based off of Heath Ledger's costume in in The Dark Knight. Okay. But the makeup was much more inspired by like the Cesar Romero, the animated series, or even Jack Nicholson's portrayal in uh, in the first Batman film. And then and the voice, of course, was based off of Mark Hamill. So with this sort of like his interesting, graspy, kind of almost British, but not quite, and ups and downs and all that kind of thing. So it was it was a lot of fun to do. Awesome. Yeah, that was a that was a cool video. Although I have to admit I was terrified at first. He <laughs> should be. He's a scary character. I mean, there you go. Well, then you must have done a great performance. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I got a lot of comments from people who are like, ooh, I peed a little. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we have the booth junkie Mike Delgadio coming up. I know you guys are excited about that. Some of our fans have clamored for it. But first, we're going to have a VO meter stick from friend of the show, Derek Dorsey. Hey, everybody. It's time for the VO meter stick. What did he say? It's time for the VO meter. Oh, never mind. The VO meter stick. Oh, got it. Hi. Derek Dorsey here for the VO Meter Stick. I first want to thank Paul and Sean for inviting me on to the podcast. I'm a relatively new voiceover talent, but I'm also a bass guitarist and touring musician of 30-plus years, performing all over the world for the military and civilians alike. I was the bassist for the alternative rock band Jimmy's Chicken Shack out of Annapolis, Maryland, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. The band had a little bit of radio play and had a few videos on MTV. We also toured the U.S. extensively with other bands like Stained, Incubus, Fuel, 311, and Godsmack, just to name a few. A few years later, I was the bassist for the Kelly Bell Band, which is a real cool blues band out of Baltimore, Maryland. Not only did we perform locally and up and down the East Coast, but we also toured worldwide, performing for our U.S. military. When I decided to finally take that dive into the VO world, I admit having a sense of both excitement and apprehension. But as I explored this voiceover thing a little further, I couldn't help but notice that VO and my career as a musician had many similarities, which allowed me to draw from my experience and ease my anxiety. What I realized is that to even have a viable career as a voiceover artist, a professional musician, or any field in the performing arts, these few elements are crucial for a chance to be successful. And those elements are talent, passion, coaching, performance, practice, business, marketing, and persistence. Now, I won't go through every element that I just listed, but there is a couple that really resonated with me that I like to share. The first one was performance. Now, for me in the music world, it was nothing for me to play to a crowd of 50, 60, or even 70,000 people. But in the voiceover world, Performing for just one person was a scary proposition. I don't have that guitar to hide behind. It's just me, the microphone, and my voice. And that's where practice comes in and working with a good coach to help eliminate that fear and give you confidence behind the mic. The other area that also had similarities with the music biz is with regard to business. As a VO talent, you are a sole proprietor to your business, so you need to treat it as such. You also need to file the appropriate tax forms that reflect that. Next is marketing. In VO, you have to have the ability to market yourself in order to get jobs. This is so similar to the music biz. Now, in the music world, for a local band or solo artist, you must be able to market yourself with an effective campaign to get people to see and like your band. You have to promote yourself months and weeks in advance, before and after shows, in order to build that fan base. To give you an example, Jimmy's Chicken Shack were able to market themselves so well that they were able to sell 20 or 30,000 of their own CDs before a major label even looked at them. So my point is this, that this is a numbers game when it comes to marketing and VO. So keep that hustle and remain persistent. And that's my time. Thanks for listening. And I wish you all continued success in your voiceover journey. <laughs> Okay, Derek, thank you so much for that. Funny story about Derek. He was in a very popular band based here out of Baltimore called the Kelly Bell Band that I was a huge fan of. I used to go see all the time at local bars uh, back in the early part of the 2000s, even in 1998, 1999. It's one of those bands that you go out and see and you're like, these guys are going to be huge. And they never got quite as big as I think Derek probably would have hoped or, or even, even I would have hoped. But he's transitioned to voiceover and we're happy to have him in the community. So Booth Junkie Mike Delgadio will be with us in a few minutes, but before that we have our... Questionable Gear Purchase. So I've had a strict no-buy policy for the last couple of months, so why don't you tell me about your escapades? So, yeah, speaking of Booth Junkies, I made some adjustments to my booth. We talked in the last episode about how I and then you tried to buy a double-walled whisper room and eventually decided that was a bad idea. So what I had done was made some adjustments to my existing Whisper Room. And I think I was just starting that process at the end of the last episode. So that's done. 
what we did was add, I had a contractor come over and we added um, some double walled uh, drywall, not quite two layers, but Quiet Rock. It's a, it's a brand name that has two layers with a layer of um, absorbing material in between. And we put that on all the walls except for the door, then dropped a piece of plywood or a piece of Quiet Rock on the floor with a piece of plywood over it. So I have basically a, almost a double walled whisper room, but sort of homemade. And it's helped a little bit. It hasn't been the the panacea I was hoping it would, but it has dropped my noise floor by about negative three or four dB, which is good. Um, I do still have some rumble issues, which sort of led to me searching for mics again. And uh, <laughs> what I decided to do was look for a less sensitive mic for audiobook work because I was listening to my files and or I should say my editor that I send most of my work to was listening to my files. And a lot of the notes that came back were noise in the background, hearing noise in the background. It's all that stupid vibration that's coming through the expander where I'm talking. It works great. The expander works great to keep it out when I'm not talking, but when I'm actually doing the reading of the audiobook, a lot of it still bleeds in at times. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying a less sensitive mic that I'm talking to you all on right now. Familiar theme for the show. This is now an Audio-Technica AT4051B. It's a boom indoor dialogue mic that is used for TV shows, movie filming. It's similar to, um, to an Octava MK12, or there's a, a Rode... Might need to choose a less obscure reference than that one. Buddy. Yeah, there's a Rode, <laughs> Rode K5 that some people, or N5 that some people might be familiar with. It's basically a pencil mic, small diaphragm condenser that you put overhead mostly most of the time that's how i have it pointed straight down at the source so it's in front of me and i'm talking basically past the diaphragm and i did some pretty extensive testing with this and my cad e100s and the uh, at875 shotgun that i still have and this was by far the lowest noise floor with the expander on and i was able to actually turn the expander down a little bit than from where i had it for the cad which is my entire goal was to have a less aggressive expander and still have the same sound. And so far, it seems to be doing a pretty good job. So I'm halfway through another audiobook with it. And you know me by now. We'll see how it goes. But so far, well, so good. I'm just curious how you came upon that, Mike. Because, well, first off, I didn't realize that small diaphragm condensers were used for indoor dialogue. Because, I mean, very often you'll use something like the, the Sennheiser 416 or a shotgun mic like the Rode NTG3 or something like that on a boom arm. I didn't realize they had smaller, uh, like, pencil mics for that as well. And... I mean, Audio Technica is a great company, but what, what brought you to that particular mic? So I was watching a YouTube video by a fellow named Curtis Judd, who's a videographer and mostly does um, corporate films by his own account. And he was doing a review between this uh, AT4053B, or 4053B, I'll, I'll get to the distinction in a second, and the Rode NT5, which are both pencil mics, and comparing it to his um, existing NTG2, which is sort of like you were saying, more familiar um, shotgun mics that people use for, for overhead booming. And he said he really liked this, this Audio-Technica and, and became his favorite based on his tests and because it, it was easy to, to position and had the best, um, the best self-noise and just sounded the best. So there's a, a predecessor, which is the AT4051, and I bought that because it's basically the only one I can find. They're actually quite expensive if you're looking for the um for retail the 4053b um retails for about 5.99 and the 4051 was the same when it was first released so i found a used one at guitar center that was a little bit more reasonable and that's how i got into my booth very and it sounds nice i mean it sounds very very natural very accurate maybe a little bit softer than some of your other mics but that's kind of what you were looking for so yeah exactly so Again, I'll probably not keep it, but for the time being, for the time being, until I finish this last, this next book, at least, it's going to be in the booth. Well, that's awesome. It's so that, that's it for me, believe well, it or know, not. We would have a segment because I'm, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where it's like I really, and and probably my my girlfriend has played a part in that too. She's like, don't buy any more stuff, but it's. <laughs> It's gotten to the point where I would have to spend a lot more to really get any noticeable improvement, and um, and I can always improve the acoustics and stuff like that beforehand. Like I'm pretty happy with the mic interface combo I have right now. Yeah, it, it's it's true, and I think there's a there's a valid discussion that 
we should probably have about there's a point where you're you're probably hearing more than most of your clients and an audience would hear so um our friend mike norgard brought this up he's gonna be on the next show with us about how at least in my personal case my studio sounds great and there's really no point in messing with it and i he said i probably hear things that most people wouldn't hear and i found that to be true when i was recording the local author in my in my booth there was a couple of pickups that i wanted him to do and it was basically him hitting the mic with his leg i think or the mic stand with his leg it was a little boom boom you know that thud you get when you have a, a low frequency rumble in the booth and i played it back for him over these these monitors i have in the studio and he's like i don't hear anything i did it like 10 times and he said I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I still hear nothing. Wow, wow. So it's worth mentioning that as voiceover artists and, and producers, we probably have ultra-sensitive hearing to issues that, for the most part, aren't going to matter, especially if it's behind music or other dialogue on a, on a video. And it's funny because, I mean, as you... As you practice doing this more, I mean, you it's something that you develop. Because I don't, my ears definitely were this sensitive to it before, when it, before I started. Yeah, me when neither. I listened to some of my older tracks with like my Porter Booth and my uh, my Blue Yeti, I just cringed because I was like, how did I not tell that it was awful? It just sounded boxy and echoey. It was just, ugh. <laughs> But the funny thing is, is I still have clients who will, like who have that in their stock audio and will reuse it. I'm like, why? <laughs> Please let me redo that for you. Um, but I mean, like you said, it's just something that we pay more attention to. But like once you get to a, a certain standard and it doesn't have to be the thousand dollars, like thousands of dollars studio, like you can ride that for most of not all of your career. So like there's there's other things that you can invest in that might be more helpful to your business, like a new marketing strategy or more training. So uh, it's just something to think about. Now, if you like gear like me and Paul do, that's a different story. But just know <laughs> that, like, just accept that that's the reason why you're looking at new gear. Yeah, fair enough. All right. So we won't keep our, our fans waiting any longer. There's been a huge response to us even floating the idea of having him on. And we're so excited to welcome the booth junkie, Mike Delgadio. So welcome to the interview segment of this episode of the VO Meter. We are so excited for our current guest because Sean and I have been fans for a long time and frankly, can't believe he actually agreed to come on. But joining us now is Mike Delgadio. How are you, Mike? Doing great. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. So Mike, for those who don't know, or if you just want to sort of plug yourself, tell us a little bit about your background in VO and what you're currently working on in the business. Uh, sure. Let's see. I've been doing this professionally now for probably five years or so. And I got into it because, you know, like many people, I've heard for most of my life, hey, you've got a you've got a great voice for radio. And when I was a younger man, much younger man, I actually thought radio was going to be my career. And then I met some radio DJs and turns out that it's a it's a really hard job. It's a hard life. And it's not nearly as much fun as they make it seem when you're listening to it on the radio. Uh, and so it didn't necessarily pan out, but I've never, I never sort of lost the love for wanting to be behind a microphone. When I was, when I was a kid, they used to have infomercials on TV and they would be, you know, the whole commercial break would be an infomercial. At the end, there would be a blue screen with an 800 number and it would say 495 plus shipping and handling. Call now 1-800-555-1212. And I was like, that's the guy I want to be. <laughs> that was the guy I wanted to be. <laughs> I didn't want to. Do, I never wanted to be on camera. I always wanted to be the guy behind the microphone that just had that great big voice and was doing the real announcer bit. And you know that sort of, thank God, has fallen out of fashion. But some years later, as the the technology allows us to work out of our home studios and actually create professional quality audio, video, movies, whatever it is. I sort of it reinvigorated my my desire and and love for speaking into the into the microphone, and so I, I went and met with a a coach and found a mentor, took a class, and as luck would have it, I I just really fell into it, really fell in love with it. Had an agent right away who started f helping me find work, and it took off. It took off. And at that point, I was still going to the studio for much of 
things I was hired for. And I realized I have a somewhat of a, te- a, a background in technology. I was a programmer for a long time. So technical stuff was never really terrifying for me. But I, I realized that there was an awful lot that I didn't know. At first, I didn't know what I didn't know. And then once I started to... Once I actually started to look at it, I was like, oh my God, there's a ton of this that I don't know. I'm going to try and figure it out. And that's, you know, sort of what prompted me to learn about home studios and to, and to create my YouTube channel uh, about that. And it, luckily, it is now, now that I've been able to figure this out at home and set it up at home, it's led to lots of different work. I'm going to work for Anheuser-Busch next week, and I work on the No Sleep podcast, if you guys are familiar with that. I read for the New York Times uh, once a week on Audible, you know, lots of stuff. I'll, I'll, if anybody wants me to say something, I'm, I'm always happy to, to try and lend my voice to it. And it's just, um, I've fallen in love with it, sort of re-fallen in love with it, and I, I try and work just, just as much as I can now. That's great. So you mentioned only five years full-time, or at least five, five years pursuing it in, in, as much as you can. Did you have any training in college or uh, time on the radio? No, other than college radio, I ran the the radio station in college in my uh, junior and senior year. But it was, you know, it was nothing to nothing to speak of. It was totally volunteer driven. It wasn't an academic program in any way. I did not have, um, I didn't take any classes as a kid. I took some classes as I as I uh, got older, and uh, I am lucky enough to be married to um, a woman who is very in she's very involved in the in the american theater so she's uh, very comfortable working with actors she's a director she really knows how to direct she is really I, I i get to live sort of with a coach an acting coach which which helps a great deal she really helps me uh, with script interpretation and, and line readings and so forth she's really awesome at it well that's awesome Wonderful. so one of the things that the audience by now must be getting sick of is me finding people who i have some sort of commonality with and you mentioned like the college radio. That was at Loyola College, correct? That's right. So that's, that's right. here in Baltimore, where, where I am broadcasting from at the moment. And I went to a school just up the street called Towson State. Probably when you were there, it was still Towson State, like me. That's right. And I was on the college radio station there. So that's sort of where I got my start. And similar to you, I sort of took different paths, but I've come back to it over the last three years. Your radio station was the station I listened to because my radio station was only on closed circuit. Towson State and Loyola had a very significant size difference in Towson's radio. I probably listened to you quite a bit because I was a big fan of Towson's radio station. Well, maybe. I was on Sunday mornings. I opened, I turned on the transmitter and was on mm-hmm. Sunday mornings from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. So maybe you weren't listening then. <laughs> <laughs> At least I hope not. Maybe you were having some more fun. <laughs> So thanks for the, the information about the background. But sure. what most people know you from is your YouTube channel and the Booth Junkie series. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. How did that start? Well, you know, as, as I mentioned, I, I started to really in, investigate and try and learn about what I needed to do in order to have the best possible quality sound here out of my house. Because there's a lot more work available to us if we can work out of the house and we don't have to necessarily book studio time. And... When I when I first started, I really I found lots of good studio related stuff. How to use a DAW, how to set up a studio, but not a lot of it for me was around professional quality voiceover work. There was lots of set it up so you can play music or do music production. But I was really interested in learning about what VSTs, what plugins do I need to use? Well, how does my preamp need to be set up? What sort of microphone do I need in order to sound like the guys on TV who are narrating television shows, who are the the voices of commercials or, you know, doing audiobooks or anything like that. And I, I found that I wasn't finding as much. I'd have to translate what I was learning from for music production and translate it over into voiceover. And I was very grateful for all of those, those people who made those videos. And I thought, well, I'm going to, first I started with, I'm just going to document what I learned. I think my first video was how to put together my whisper room because I could find nothing on how to put together this whisper room that I'm in that I bought secondhand. I had no idea. I was like, oh my God, I got to figure this, I got to figure this thing out. And I bought it disassembled. I had no instructions. I had to totally figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so that sort of had me think about 
okay, what else, what else didn't I know that might help the next person? And the thing that really, um, got me jazzed about it is I was learning the, uh, my, my preferred DAW is Reaper. And I, I put together a whole series of everything I needed to know in order to start doing voiceover in my DAW. Uh, and so I just did a whole series called Reaper for voiceover. And that was just really getting myself set up, getting it configured. What plugins do you need to use in order to do that? And I really, I, my first couple of people who found it, they're like, why aren't you charging for this? And it was, it was really, it was just, I want to pay it forward. So many people put this stuff out for me. I want to, I want to put it out for the next person. I, I'm a firm believer in good karma. And I just, I want to, I, I don't really charge. I may someday create a, a, I don't know, a masterclass or something, but right now I just, I just want to put it out there, put it out into the world. And I, it's been very good to me. People are, people are very, uh, very kind in, in return. They loan me their equipment in, in return. So I believe in the, in the good karma of it. And I just like, I just want to put stuff, I just want to put stuff out there and help the next person. Wonderful. Well, and you can, you can really sense the passion like for helping others in it. And if you've never seen the Booth Junkie videos, especially like the Reaper for voiceover, Mike does a fabulous job of really breaking down this kind of intimidating or what can be intimidating concepts and just making it really accessible to uh, people who are just getting started and don't know where to get started. So I'm curious, do you have an educational background at all, Mike? I, I, not not formal. Uh, in in a past life and a past job, I was a uh, a train just a corporate trainer. I'd stand up in front of groups and I would I would train them and create um, you know PowerPoint presentations and stuff like that. So I learned how to become comfortable in front of groups. I also learned things that made my class more enjoyable for me to teach and more enjoyable for the students to take. Uh, pro professional students. And so some of that probably translated back into my videos. I liked to have scenario based training. I like to make it, you know, somewhat snappy, not, and not overly, not overly bland. I try to, I try to keep them moving. I'm not sure. I was still pretty, pretty new uh, to a lot of it in, in my Reaper for voiceover series. I probably should go back and watch it and see if it still, still applies. Um, but I, I do have some amount of just corporate background in that from from past jobs, and that's that's how I did it. I just used some of those same techniques that I learned in the '90s when I was making when I was making training videos. I love that style personally. Um, one of the first things I saw from you was the Whisper Room video that you spoke about, and it helped me tremendously because I did the same thing. I bought a Whisper Room sight unseen, brought it back here, wasn't even sure I had all the parts, and I said, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> and thank goodness I found your video, and it helped me tremendously put my own whisper room up. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, That's it was awesome. really helpful. But I love the way you, you have that sort of Ferris Bueller type style of breaking the, the fourth wall, although I know you're talking to the camera anyway, but I love when you, you, you have something that you either forgot, like you forgot to bring the mic uh, pop filter in, and you just go and get it in the middle of the video and come back. I love that style where you're so informal. <laughs> it's really engaging. That's good. That's good because I, many of my videos, I'm I, I just vamp. Uh, you know, I, I I try and research them, but I don't script them. So I do vamp, and all of a sudden I'll go, oh my gosh, I should go mention this thing, and I just walk out and I try and edit out. I mean, sometimes they'll, they'll be my they might, I might leave the camera running for ten minutes, and luckily I'll just try and snip that stuff out. Um, but I, I I want it to feel like it's you and me talking. Well, it definitely not, gets that. It definitely accomplishes that. I think. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm glad it doesn't feel too disjointed. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you're you're very personable, and like you sound uh, very genuine when you do these videos. And like you said, it's just like you're talking to us, and it's not too formal, and people don't really get like it's just accessible. Like I said, people want to get like to listen to you talk and tell or teach them these things. That's cool. Very yeah, I'll share a story. That. We actually. We're talking, we weren't talking about booking you quite yet. And an, another fan of our podcast reached out to me and said, you know who you should talk to? Mike Delgadio. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. If he'll, <laughs> if he'll come on, let's do it. And that's when I reached out to you. Cool. So you're resonating. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I, I really, it's very gratifying to hear. Sometimes what we do on YouTube, it's a, it's a little bit of a vacuum. We get the comments, but it's a little bit of a vacuum. You never know if what you've made is any good until you put it out there. And there's some videos <laughs> I go, I don't know if I did this well or not. I'm going to put it out there and hopefully people don't completely tear me apart on it. There have been a couple of videos where like, this was not your best effort. <laughs> and, okay, I'm going to learn for that. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to move forward from it. Uh, but you do, you know, you know, 
I'm, I'm very lucky that in my little tiny, tiny, tiny corner of YouTube, people tend to be pretty kind because YouTube doesn't always have the reputation as having the kindest comment section. But I've been, oh, yeah. I've been very gratifying to see. <laughs> so tell us a little bit, because like you said, as you got started, a lot of it was kind of sort of archiving your own journey and what you've learned and sharing it. But you've also kind of moved into this other branch of like product reviews. Can you tell us a little bit about how that got started? It I have just sort of backed into it by accident. It really, it, it, it wasn't the thing I intended to do. It turned out that I really liked doing it. And it seems that it resonates with people because my reviews are, are, are not like, you know, I'm not like uh, Marquez Brownlee. I'm not doing these, you know, really in-depth technical reviews. I try... The, the thing that I try and do, especially with the, the, the microphone reviews, which is the part that really seems to resonate with people, is I, I want people to hear them, and I want people to have a way to compare them to at least something else. And so that's why I almost always do my microphone reviews with two microphones, and I try and swap back and forth. There's, for me, there was nothing more frustrating than to, to watch a, a microphone review and they talk on some other microphone for five minutes and then give you 30 seconds of the way the mic sounds. Mm -hmm. like that's not enough time for me to judge. I want you to hear the whole thing on the microphone. And let's just back and forth between something else. That way you can you have a point of reference, a point of comparison. And so that's, that's sort of how, that's how I want it to be for me. And so I hope that's how other people enjoy hearing it. And I try and anticipate, like, if they want to, if I, if I would want to hear this particular microphone that I'm reviewing against something else, then I, I try and figure out of my small inventory, small but now growing inventory of microphones, which ones <laughs> would sound better against each other. And I, and I try and and I, I try and do the side by sides as as much as I can. But it was really it. I didn't go into it with, with any intention. It, it started with other people who were watching my videos. And uh, there have been a few people who have said, I got this thing. Do you want to try this thing? I'll send you this thing and you can keep it for a couple of weeks and, and try this microphone and send it back to me. And for whatever reason, they trusted me. Thank goodness they trusted me. <laughs> I'm a trustworthy person. But, you know, there have been, there have been a few po folks that have sent me, like, at one time, like, four or $5,000 worth of stuff. And wow. we're internet, you know, we're internet strangers. Um, but I always return the microphone. I always, you know, and I, and I, and I give it back. But I, that's sort of how it has happened. I, I don't, more and more companies now want to send me things. And sometimes I say yes, and sometimes I say no. Um but it, it and I try whenever it's uh, whenever it's you know something that a company has sent me. I just set it up against something else, and I and I just talk and I try and you know I'll give you the specs, but I want you to hear it. That's going to be the best the, the 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 best way to anticipate. And I always try and say, if it's good for my voice, my voice is not yours. My voice is not anybody else's. I try and say what sounds good for me. And as people, now that I've gotten a whole bunch of them, you can sort of say, oh, yeah, I hear these drastic differences. And in many cases, the not so drastic differences between a $200 mic, a $500 mic and a $2,000 mic. So, I mean, that's a long way of saying I backed into product reviews. It really wasn't my goal, but it's I'm enjoying making them and people enjoy seem to enjoy watching them. So I'm going to keep doing them. Well, yeah, I know. I enjoy uh, I enjoy watching them very much, and I like making my own product reviews as well. So I'm curious: is there any advice that you can offer, like whatever, like camera techniques, or like you've sort of touched on it a little bit, but like what you kind of what your goal is when you do a product review? <laughs> well, free stuff. <laughs> I, I wish I wish I was. I, the thing I'm learning is the photography part of it is much harder than I expected. Mm -hmm. I thought the photography part was going to be super easy. The photography part, and it's maybe because my space is very limited and my equipment is pretty limited. I try and, I try and you know, use as much duct tape and bubble gum and PVC tubing as I can to try and, <laughs> to try and do this. I mean, I, I have probably 100 feet of PVC tubing, and that's I do everything with PVC if I can. So... Um, but you know, the, the, the things that I've learned is the photography is hard. It does require an investment. I still, am just using HD cameras. My cameras don't have microphone inputs. I have to synchronize everything after the fact. Ooh. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, I, and, and anyway, my camera's outside the booth, and it's I'm recording. I record to SD cards on my Sony cameras. It doesn't go into the computer. I, I synchronize it all after the fact. Oh wow! If anybody doesn't know how yeah. hard that is, that that must mm-hmm. be a labor of love. Well, that's why you see me in many of the videos. That's why I clap in the beginning. That's you know the classic you know just synchronize. It makes it really super easy to synchronize it. Yep. it synchronize it that way. Um, and luckily, everything everything seems to line up. I, I I've really fallen. I've got a couple of these little entry entry level Sony uh, Sony cameras, but it's hard to find them with a good with a good screen that flips up to see. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's it's I've got it. I now have my technique. I do all, I do all my video editing in Reaper, the same DAW that I use for all of my audio. It's all one one really straightforward workflow for me now. So I've got it, I've got my process fairly well wired at this point. But I think, you know, learning your tools and you don't have to overdo it. My videos are pretty low-fi. I have virtually no no effects. I have no transition. I don't do motion tracking. My cameras are always (laughs) shaky. (laughs) Um, But I think it's, you know, I, I try and make it as good as I, as good as I can, but I don't, I don't fetishize it. Uh, mm. my photography and I think it's I think that's sort of how I come to my own style I remember sorry forgive me this one tangent I remember watching a uh, a, uh, 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 a documentary with uh, the three guitar guys it was Jack White and um, Jimmy Page and oh, uh, I should have prepared the story better <laughs> anyway Jack White was talking and he said I like to I, I play with a, a Montgomery Ward guitar, and the action is really high. And I like to put my amplifier just out of reach. I want it to be just a little bit hard to do. <laughs> and that makes it so that I work harder to do it, and it makes me have my own style, as it were. Because everything has to be just a little bit harder. Not impossible, but I want to have to work for it. And that's sort of how it has come to me. I've, I've, I, that has resonated with me for, what, for whatever I'm doing. And I do, I try and optimize my workflow and I, I do try and make things so I can work efficiently. But I do try and make it just a little bit hard on myself so that I have to work for it. I can't, I don't want it to just be effortless, effortless all the time, um, especially when I'm creating the videos. I want to have to work for it just a little bit. And I think that's how my style has evolved. I don't Interesting. Know if that makes sense. I, I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, it, it does. I mean, you're you're me. you're challenging yourself. Yeah. And, and meeting yeah. the task. I like it. I like. I think it a it's lot. a common theme among creative people. I just um, you may have heard the episode where I went down to Otakon, the anime convention, mm-hmm. and we talked to the guys from Men at Arms. The they build these crazy weapons based on video games and and anime, and then bring it to the Renaissance festivals and other other um, conventions. So the one creator there said. Uh, his one, his biggest tip to the fans was, do the hard things first, and the easy things will come easy, because you challenge yourself to do the hard things, and then they won't seem so hard the next time you do it. And it's a really great sort of life lesson. That is, that is a great piece of advice. Tackle the hardest part first, because then it only gets easier. Don't put off the hard, don't put the hardest thing till the end. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So you are an unapologetic gearhead, as are Sean and I both. <laughs> you seem to be more of a collector versus me, who's a flipper. And I wanted to find out what some of your favorite mics are. I am not a flipper. <laughs> that is correct. Um, some of my favorite mics, and let's see, in order of preference, my typical go-to microphone, the one that is in my stand by default, is the Sennheiser MKH416. That's what you're hearing me on right now. That shotgun microphone. Love it. I think it's it's perfection for my voice. It really makes my voice exactly the way I want it to sound. It stays out of the way. Uh, but it's not it's not the perfect microphone. There's some situations where it, it doesn't necessarily work. Um, my next favorite is probably the CAD E100S. Ooh, you're hearing you... that right now as well from my side. <laughs> Oh, very good. If you get one, and, and I, I feel bad about this because uh, a lot of people have bought that microphone on my recommendation, but CAD uh, does seem to have a touch of a quality control issue with that microphone where you're going to flip a coin whether or not you get hiss or you get no hiss. If you get one with no hiss, that microphone is glorious at its price point. It is 
it is neutral it's easy to use it's easy to work and it's forgiving at the same time it's forgiving yeah it's really a, it's really a nice microphone if it is silent if you hear that microphone making a s sound you got to send it back to cat and you got to be like you got to fix this cuz it should be it should be quiet 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 you should not hear that microphone at all and unfortunately well, actually, i hear too many people tell me that there's have there's have hiss well, I felt like you really did us a service with some of your videos because I feel like CAD was a lot more resistant to address the problem mm. until they're like, or like, look, we've got a video showing that this mic is louder than it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, please do something about this. And then I feel like there was just waves of people sending in their mics and actually getting it back. Well, um, f followers of our podcast know we have a bit of a, uh, a spotted history with the CAD E100S. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was someone who, and I was actually living in Japan at the time, so I, I found a great deal on MassDrop, but they told me it was going to be like something close to two months before I got it. And then um, first mic got lost in shipping. Um, second mic came uh, later than expected, but was, or excuse me, uh, first mic was noisy. Second mic got lost in shipping. Mm. Third mic never got processed, so they just refunded me my money. <laughs> oh, so bummer. it was just a very sour, sour experience. Bummer. And then um, uh, about a month or two ago, I just like I felt the itch again, possibly because of your videos talking mm. about how great it was. <laughs> and I, I decided to get another one just to try it out against um, some of the other mics I had. And it did sound great, but I just didn't need it at that point. So yeah. I knew someone who did, who we're also talking to right mm. now, and I sent it to him, and he very loves good. it. Very good. So the thing I do, go. the thing I do recommend to people is if you can find a vintage E100, the one from the 90s. I don't. I have no ex experience with the uh, E100 two or E100 squared. I'm not sure what it. How do you pronounce it? But the mm. uh, the old E100s from the 90s with a nine volt battery factor with a nine volt battery in it. Um, I love that microphone too. And that one you can often get for like 200 bucks. And if it's still around after this long, there's a good chance that it's going to be it's going to be nice and quiet. You just pop new new rechargeable batteries in there and you're good to go. I have I've got two of them. And I, 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 I love them uh, because I buy them on Craigslist. If, if, they, if one comes along on Craigslist and it's under 200 bucks, I'm going to go buy it just so, just so I have it. And maybe someday I'll flip it, but I'm more of a collector myself. That makes two of us. So any <laughs> others you recommend you highly? Um, other, any other microphones I recommend highly? Um, there's one that I, that I don't own that I hope to own at some point. There's a studio here in town that I'm in front of this microphone every time I'm in their studio, and it's the, uh, the Peluso P87, which is a, wow. you know, a vintage, um, uh, it's, I, I guess, after the patents on the Neumann old vintage U87 ran out, a bunch of people made these 87-style microphones, and the Peluso, I love the way I sound on that one, and it could be combined with their their outboard gear that they that they run me through but every time i'm in front of that microphone in that studio i'm like what is this secret sauce this sounds <laughs> amazing it's smooth it's it's robust i sound great it sounds great when i'm close it sounds great when i'm six inches off it i just love the way that microphone sounds and it's like it's a it's a thousand bucks it's it's an expensive microphone but in retrospect i would put that up against my um my tlm 103 my neumann it, I would definitely flip a coin on where my $1,100 was going to go between the Peluso and the, the TLM 103. I have the 103, and so that's what I stick with, but I, I definitely would have considered the Peluso had I known about it at the time. Excellent. So what are some of your, I mean, because you've, you've reviewed so many different products and so many different microphones at different price points, but you've also got some of these more eclectic videos where, say, you're you're reviewing a portable preamp or um, or even a handheld recorder. So uh, what are some of your favorite videos to do and what kind of inspires you to be like, well, nobody knows about this product. I'm going to make a video about it. <laughs> I try and review a lot of the a lot of the things that I've reviewed have been things that I have been trying to find for myself. A lot mm. of the portable stuff has been me. I, almost, I often have obligations that if I'm traveling, either for vacation or for whatever reason, that I still have to audition. I still may need to punch in a recording, uh, fix something, uh, or I may need to actually record something. Like I, the New York Times doesn't wait. The New York Times is Friday night. And if I'm in a hotel in Kenosha, 
I want to record for the New York Times. I don't want to say you have to find a, a substitute for me. And so a lot of it has been, is there a USB mic that I could take? Is there a portable recorder that I can take? How can I take this and not put my equipment at risk? How can I take this and not have TSA confiscate it? <laughs> what can I do? And so I've run through a whole bunch of stuff. And I have not found my perfect secret, you know, travel stuff yet. I've gotten, I've gotten close. The, the sound devices stuff is really good if you can get past the price point for it. That's definitely pro-level mm -hmm. gear. Um, the Zoom H5 has been an extremely resilient, uh, robust piece of equipment for me. I have not had a ton of luck with any USB microphones. I've got um, uh, uh, an Apogee uh, 96K that's sitting on the shelf that I have to do a review for. I'm just waiting to actually use it out in the field a little bit more. Uh, but so um, much of this stuff, there was a ceremonic little tiny... Um, a little tiny portable recorder that I thought if this is if this works it's going to be the greatest device ever uh, this little ceremonic um, supplies phantom power and it was like the size of a, a couple of matchboxes and I thought oh this is going to be perfect I can just plug my shotgun microphone into it and I'm going to pack, pack it in my bag and that's all I need and it turns out that the preamps kind of sucked in it and so I haven't settled on it but to circle back, the the reason I, I the reason I do many of these is because there's something that are trying to fulfill a need that I have um, to make my recordings better, to make them travel easier, to to make my studio life uh, so that I can so that I can work and get the sound that I want. Uh, that's you know a lot of it is for my own for my own needs. That's where I that's where I come up with this stuff. Do you take requests, or is that something you might look to in the future? Like a reader comment says, "Hey, I want to hear about the." Uh the new Rode NTG1. Would you do that? Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I, and I do. I get so many people that say, you know, have you tried the Aston Origin? No, I haven't. Have you tried the Aperture Deity? No. And, and my response is, if I can get my mitts on one, I'll absolutely review it. Because um, there's, you know, there's there's lots and lots of it. The actual, I kept hearing about the NT1, the Rode NT1, which I hadn't used. And so finally I did, I did send a message to Rode. I said, hey, if there's... If there's ever a, uh, an opportunity for me to to use this mic, I'd, I'd love to try it. I don't reach out to companies very often. I've done it a couple of times for companies that I'm really interested in. But under most circumstances, I don't. There have been some companies that have approached me. Mostly they're like Amazon sellers. I get, I get them like every day right now. Somebody, wow. um, somebody from China is trying to send me their, their no-name microphone. And most of the time now, I, I have to say no to it. Um, but you know, I I'll always yeah. If I take requests, it's it's hard because it, in many times it's me outlaying my own money, and a lot of this equipment isn't cheap. So that's why I'm always very grateful if somebody sends me something, uh, and I take very good care of it. Anybody who ever sends me a microphone or a preamp or or anything, if somebody sends it to me, I take I take very good care of it and I ship it up, uh, package it very nicely, and I send it back. Uh, but that's how I you know that's a, a lot of times that's how I do it because I you know it's not like. It's not like this stuff is pouring money into my <laughs> into my <laughs> bank account right now, you know. Uh, it's you know it's very very much a, a it's a it's something I love doing. I'm really enjoying doing it, and as long as I have the love for it, and it gets to you know introduce me to you know people like like you guys, where I get to talk this business, I get to meet other people, and and just sort of spread the good karma around. That's uh, that's why I'm going to continue to do it. Yeah, but yeah, I'll take requests, sure. If I can, if I can figure it out, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely do requests. Great. What's next for Booth Junkie? Is it going to be a continuing labor of love, or do you have some plans to make it your entire business? What's really next for the for the channel? You know, it's a it's a it's a good question. What's next for the channel? Right now, it is um, to just continue doing to right now to continue doing it as as I as I as I'm enjoying it. Um, I don't really have these grand designs and turning it into a, a, a media empire. I have thought about, uh, I have thought about if there was a way to um, to do the audition and connection between voice actor and company better. I've spoken with some people, not to actually build a product or anything like that, but I've spoken with people about the way the industry is currently being disrupted with some of the pay to play uh you know websites that are out there and you know of course we all we all make money but i i do feel like there's 
there's a lack of transparency and there's a I feel like there's probably a better way to connect voice actors to products in a way mm -hmm. that is both ethical and transparent and everybody can still in quotes make money everybody can still make money that's why we're all you know in business is to make money but i feel like there's a way to do it without some of the uh some of the consternation that happens in the marketplace right now without you know going into the the, all the whole politics of it and i'd certainly like to do that because it's it's something again that i have experienced for myself and i know lots of people it's how do i find work how do I connect with that work? How do I charge for that work in a way that is makes me competitive, but doesn't price me out of the business or, or injure other voice actors by undercutting the market? How can we do that in a way that works for everybody? And that's certainly something that's where a lot of my interest is uh, for the future. How can we do that? How can all of us folks back in our bedroom, now that we have our studio set up, how can we connect with the people who want to hear our voices and want to pay us for our voices and how can we lend our voices to their products um, and so that's that's something that i would like to i would definitely like to investigate in the in the future and i, I every once in a while i sketch it out i was in a, i was a web developer showing my age i was a web developer in the uh the late 90s early 2000s i i made some i made a lot of websites in my life uh, and so i every once in a while i go back and i'm like i should just i should just put uh you know fingers to keyboard and start to code that but it's not where my head is right now to 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 write that code anymore, uh, but that's, that's that's the kind of thing that I'd like to do. I, I feel like there is I feel like there is a model out there that can help voice actors find work and have companies find voice actors without the uh, without the issues that are currently surrounding the pay to play. I think that I think that's available to us. That's great. I look forward to hearing where you where you take that. Me too. <laughs> Such a charitable soul. That's wonderful. <laughs> well. You know, I'm not opposed to people making money, but I do, I do feel like, um, you know, there, there is some, there's a lot of, there's a lot of swirl and consternation around it that, that doesn't need, that doesn't need to be there. Uh, and hopefully somebody, somebody, me, you, them, some, somebody will find a better model and hopefully it will catch on. Great. Sean, any other questions? Uh, no, I think that pretty much wraps things up. So, okay. Well, Mike, uh, where can people find you if they want to contact you or just, uh, absorb your content or yeah. hire you if you if you want to find me the you just go to boothjunkie.com that's just a redirect it'll take you right to my youtube channel and so i i love for people to uh to watch the videos and hopefully enjoy them um i'm at booth junkie on twitter i'm at booth junkie on instagram although i don't use instagram as much as i should because i'm <laughs> bad at remembering it uh and you can also send me email uh mike at boothjunkie.com uh and i'm don't mind putting that email address out there. Feel free to feel free to contact me. I do try and answer. I get a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions right now. Um, I do try and answer as many questions as I can. Uh, so if you do if you do contact me directly, I will definitely try and get back to you if at all possible. Um, sometimes I can't, but uh, I do encourage people to, to reach out if they have questions, and I'll try and I'll try and help you. And sometimes it'll say, "I'll turn, can I turn it into a video?" And sometimes that's that's how it works. Great. Well, Mike, we thank you so much for being here. As I said, Sean and I are both big fans. I feel like awesome. we are on sort of similar trajectories. The reason we started this podcast was for the very same reasons you mentioned, that we've received so much help from people in the BO community. It's the most giving community I've ever been a part of as, as a business person, and we're just trying to pay it forward just like you. It's the way to be. So we'll talk to you soon. Wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me on. And we're back. First off, I want to say thank you so much to Mike Delgadio of Booth Junkie. I've seen a lot of comments that a lot of people are just like, oh, man, he seems so down to or so down to earth and so nice. And it's absolutely true. He's just such a, a real nice guy, and he's got great advice and just a really good outlook on trying to give back to the community, which is something that we see so often in the voiceover community. And I really, really love uh, to be a part of it because of it. Anyways, uh, so that pretty much wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voice over progress. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up. We've got uh, the 
we ha- or next episode, we have our VO Meetup Roundtable, where we have some other up-and-coming voice actors v- or VOs that have been in the trenches that got started about the same time we did and that we've worked together with over the years, just kind of think-tanking new ideas and trying to progress our careers together. We also have Gerald Griffith, the coordinator of VO Atlanta, the voiceover conference, which is coming up on March 1st through f- uh, 4th, I believe. That's and right. Then uh, we also have some great voice actors and voice coaches, David Rosenthal, my boss from the Global Voice Acting Academy, and Mark Cashman, uh, author of VO, that's V-O, like as an O kind of thing, uh, which is a great book. And uh, he's a great coach, so I'm excited to have both of them on. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to all of those gentlemen, and we'll look forward to speaking to them coming in the new year. So, for my co-host Sean Daly, I'm Paul Stefano for the VO Meter. See you next time, everybody. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. To follow along, please visit www.vometer.com.